Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, Ingrid. That was incredible. My name is Nathaniel. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you yet, I'm part of the team here at Bray Park and it is my privilege to be opening up these words of the Lord for us this morning. But first, uh, when I was a kid, I loved sleepovers with my mates. Sleepovers are a childhood highlight and the house that you went to for a sleepover was a pretty big deal. If you uh, wanted to go over to someone else's house, that meant they were, they were a pretty cool kid, get to hang out, play with them, play with their stuff. If someone wanted to come over to your house, that's, that's pretty cool. You know, they're probably best mate material. And if one of the cool kids in, in school wanted to go to someone else's house for a sleepover, that was, that was extra cool. That, that kid got immediate cred. That was, that was great. Status boost straight away. Now, what we see Jesus doing in this story here, showing up, hanging out with Zacchaeus, going to his house, that's like Jesus showing up. Imagine that. Jesus shows up on the schoolyard. He's going to have a sleepover at someone's house. And he goes and has a sleepover with the school bully. The kid who beats up everyone, nicks their lunch money and goes and spends it to buy himself nice treats at the canteen. That's, that's sort of what's happening here. Why on earth would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus pick up and talk to Zacchaeus? We're in the last week of our sermon series called Lost and Found. We've been exploring what God is doing in the world, his mission and our part in that. We've seen how God sent Jesus from heaven to earth to seek and to save that which was lost. So far, we've explored Jesus' heart of compassion for those who don't know God uh, through a couple of different parables, some ways that he explained that. We've looked at these, these stories, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the prodigal son. We've talked about them and how they show us God's pursuit to reclaim that which is lost. And today, we're exploring Jesus' interaction with this man named Zacchaeus. Now, I'm sure that you've heard of Zacchaeus before. Uh, Many of us might not know all the details, but we probably know a few things, like that he wasn't particularly well-liked, not the most popular guy around, and that he was a wee little man. But beyond these interesting details, the story is actually incredibly powerful. It gives us a beautiful glimpse into the heart of Jesus. 
This interaction with Zacchaeus takes place uh, in Luke's Gospel, only three chapters after the stories of the lost coin, the lost sheep and the prodigal son, which we looked at in the last few weeks. And in this part of the story, only three chapters later, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem where he was going to die. But even at this significant point in his mission, this incredibly major journey, Jesus stops, he takes the time to reach out to Zacchaeus. And that changes Zacchaeus forever. We see three things here about how Jesus interacts with the lost. Three lessons to learn from the encounter with Zacchaeus. We see that Jesus knows the lost. We see that Jesus transforms the lost. And we see that Jesus redeems the lost. So Jesus knows the lost. Over this sermon series, we've talked quite a fair bit about Jesus' heart for the poor, for the downtrodden. But what we see here isn't an interaction with someone who's poor, sick, infirm and outcast. We see Jesus interacting with one of the richest people in the city, one of the most wealthy people around. Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. Now, this doesn't mean he was just like a high-up, high-ranking, first-century ATO employee equivalent. No, tax collectors are very, very different. We've spoken about them before. Uh, They were one of the most hated groups around. And this is because they were Jews who had betrayed their countrymen and gone to work for the Romans who had conquered them. They collected the taxes which paid the Roman army, which ruled Judea with an iron fist. And the tax collectors weren't paid a wage by the Romans. They collected their wage by adding an extra fee onto everyone they took taxes from. They set their own salary and they just took it from the people around them. They were known for being corrupt. They were known for being unscrupulous. And they made their fortunes by exploiting their neighbours. Now, it's pretty hard to find a profession which is so widely despised today, which we could compare it to. The best I could think of uh, was from the Netherlands during World War II, during Nazi occupation. There were a sizable group of Dutch people who worked with the Germans, helping them to identify resistance fighters and showing them where Jews were hiding. Now, my Olper and Olmer lived through this time. Um, my Olper in particular, he was a teenager, um, during, a young teenager during the war, and he's got some vivid uh, memories of the war. And I've heard a couple of choice words from him in English and in Dutch about the, <laughs> yeah, about the Dutch who helped the Germans. Um, but I was speaking to him here recently. I called him up and um, I mentioned this, and after a minute or two, he said there were two words which came to mind when he thought about these people. He said the best word is betrayal and the other word is despised. And that's much the same way that the Jews saw the tax collectors back then. And Zacchaeus, he wasn't just a tax collector, he was the chief tax collector. In the city of Jericho, now, this is a thousand years after the whole walls falling down incident. They rebuilt the city strong and it's got a booming economy that's uh, on a very major trade route and so to be collecting taxes there, ludicrous job. You'd be rolling in it. And in a world which tells us that money is something you can use to buy happiness, if you've got enough money you can fix all the other problems in your life, Zacchaeus seems to have all that he needs. He's got a ton of money, comfortable job, 
Roman army protects him, he can't get beaten up. And yet he was lost. And he knew it. This is why he came along on that day to see Jesus. Because as much as we idolise it, money will never bring us lasting happiness. If you want some more confirmation on that, just talk to the people who have got tons of it. Actor Jim Carrey, he says, I think that everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. What Zacchaeus needed, what Jim Carrey needs, what we all need is exactly what Jesus offers to us so freely, exactly what Jesus offered to Zacchaeus that day on the road into Jericho, himself. Now Zacchaeus, he he heard that Jesus was in town. He went out to see who he was. He'd evidently heard about Jesus. He wanted to find out a bit more about him, see him, hear him. But he had a problem. Zacchaeus was very, very short. He couldn't get to the front of the crowd to see Jesus. Um, If you went to kids' church or Sunday school, you probably heard the classic song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. It's very, very short. He couldn't barge his way through. It probably didn't help all that much that he was so despised. No one's going to let him get to the front. So he's got to find a solution. He runs back along the road and he finds a tree, a sycamore tree. It's nice, low-hanging, easy to climb. I've got a, a picture of one up here. Here. Here's a picture of one. Sycamore trees have got these lovely low branches. You can climb up them really easily. And so Zacchaeus runs back. He finds a sycamore tree. He climbs up it and he sits up there ready to just get a glimpse of this Jesus dude as he's coming along. But he gets a lot more than he bargained for. When Jesus gets there, he looks up the tree and he calls out to Zacchaeus by name. He says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately for I must stay at your house today. Now, all the attention is up on the short bloke up the tree. It's probably the first time that anyone's ever looked up to Zacchaeus in any sense of the word. But Jesus knows exactly who Zacchaeus is. He doesn't sort of stop and hang out and go, oh, hey, what's your name? Oh, you're Zacchaeus? Oh, what do you do? No, he, he looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. He doesn't just happen to notice him. He doesn't just go, oh, what's that dude doing? up? He knows who Zacchaeus is. And he reached out to him intentionally. Because Jesus came into the world to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus was keen to meet Zacchaeus. Jesus was keen to go stay in Zacchaeus' house, to eat with Zacchaeus, to spend time with Zacchaeus. Not despite Zacchaeus' sin, but because of his sin. And Jesus calls out to us as well. Not despite our sin, but because of our sin. Because that is the reason he came. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. Here we see Jesus reaches out to Zacchaeus. He shows a desire to connect with him personally. And that changes Zacchaeus forever. So let's have a look at the massive transformation which Jesus works in Zacchaeus' life. Little Zacchaeus, he responds in joy. He scrambles down the tree to welcome Jesus and take him home to welcome him into his house. But as he receives Jesus into his home, the crowd around, they're responding with disgust. Verse 7 reads, All the people saw this and began to mutter, 
He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Why would Jesus stay with this filthy tax collector? Why not with someone who's actually got morals, or at least tries to be good? Zacchaeus isn't worth his time. Why would, why would Jesus go stay at his place? Who do you look at in that way? Can you identify with the crowd here? When you think about Jesus' mission to seek and to save the lost, when you think about people whose hearts could be transformed by God's word, by the good news of Jesus, is there a person or is there a group of people who you think, no, nah, they're a write-off. God wouldn't want them. They're not worth my time. They're not worth telling about Jesus. Who do you think is just too far gone to be worth saving? The crowd, they hated Zacchaeus. They resented that Jesus would honour him by staying in his house. But Jesus came for Zacchaeus. Jesus came for people like us. And Jesus came for people unlike us. Jesus loves the people who we hate and he doesn't need our permission to do that. So this is a challenge for us to examine ourselves, to look, look into our hearts. As you think about the people you know whose hearts could be changed, transformed by the good news of Jesus, is there someone you've automatically written off? Maybe that's an aggressively atheist work colleague who just doesn't have time for Jesus. Is that maybe a toxic family member who's just not worth it anymore? Is that maybe yourself? There is no one who is too broken or too sinful for Jesus to transform. And we see an example of this miraculous transformation in Zacchaeus. In response to Jesus, Zacchaeus makes some remarkable about-turns to provide restitution for all the people he has ripped off. We read in verse 8 there, he says, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anyone of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. Zacchaeus was giving back much more than was legally required. The Jewish law at the time required that if you had if you'd extorted something, if you'd taken what doesn't belong to you, you had to pay that back plus one-fifth of the amount. Here Zacchaeus is giving back four times of what he had unfairly taken. And he had no obligation to give half his wealth to the poor. That's him trying to give out some extra, trying to show that this money is nothing compared to what he's found in Jesus. In a way, Zacchaeus is a little bit like Ebenezer Scrooge in A Christmas Carol. If you're not familiar with it, Scrooge is a stingly, stingy miser who hoards his wealth. The story starts off, he penny pinches, he abuses him, his employees, pays them as little as possible, treats them unfairly, makes them work long hours. And Scrooge is confronted by the spirits of the past, the present and the future who show him the pain that his miserliness has caused is causing and would cause. And how ultimately he was headed towards a death where he would take nothing past the grave, his life would mean nothing, and he would be missed by no one. And upon seeing this, Scrooge turns his life around, he becomes generous, he starts using his money to uh, cause joy, to spread joy, to bless his employees and the people around him. And Zacchaeus is 
a little bit like this. But there are some major differences between Zacchaeus and Scrooge because what Zacchaeus received was far, far more than what Scrooge got with his money. Zacchaeus received an eternal salvation, an eternal joy, a way by which the problem of sin in his heart could be completely fixed. He didn't just receive the ability to mend some relationships with people. He received a mended relationship with his God. And Zacchaeus didn't buy this forgiveness or acceptance. He didn't earn his way into Jesus' good books by giving, enough, giving away enough money or saying enough good things. Or No, Zacchaeus was acting out of gratitude for what Jesus had already done. And this is the same for us. We don't seek to do good in order to win Jesus' approval. We don't seek to do good to get Jesus to do stuff for us. We try to do what is right. We follow his leading. We obey his commands. Doing so not because we need to tick off boxes or because we need to do certain things to make him happy, but because when we have been transformed by Jesus, when we truly know Jesus, we deeply desire what he desires. Because our salvation, it's, a, it's received, it's not achieved. And Jesus is able to transform anyone. Just before meeting Zacchaeus, Jesus had healed and transformed a blind beggar on the side of the road. And he follows that up by transforming someone at the opposite end of the social scale, this rich but incredibly dislikable short guy. There is no one too broken, too sinful, or too far gone for Jesus to save. So do you feel broken? Do you feel insufficient? Do you feel like you're just you're not good enough? You can't fix it yourself. If so, that's great because you are exactly the sort of person that Jesus came for. You might feel like God's not interested in you, but he knows you by name. He knows and cares about every tiny little detail in your life, every little thing in your day. He knows the good, he knows the bad, he knows the ugly. And he still cares. Jesus came to earth to seek and to save the lost. And he loves you individually more than you could ever imagine. He longs for you to come home. So if you are like Zacchaeus at the start of this passage, then Jesus is not waiting around for you to give enough or for you to do enough or for you to be enough to get his attention. No, he is calling you down. And he doesn't just want to spend time with you in his house. He wants to take your life and transform it so that you can be in his house for all of eternity. And this eternal transformation is the final lesson that we learn from this passage. That Jesus redeems the lost. In verse 9, Jesus declares, Today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. What does this term, son of Abraham, mean? Well, in the Old Testament, the son of Abraham meant that you belong to the people of God because of your ethnicity. But when Jesus came, he changed the entry requirements for the people of God. We now enter the people of God not by our ethnicity, not by who we're born as, but by our faith 
in Jesus. In Romans 9 verse 8 we read, It is not children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. Regardless of social status or wealth or class or age or any other factor, we are all welcome in the family of God through Jesus. Because a true son or daughter of Abraham is someone who has placed their faith in Jesus and is reliant on the promise of what he has done for our salvation. And this redemption was made possible by what Jesus was about to do. Because Jesus didn't just come along to earth to say some cool stuff, to do some cool miracles, to make some inspiring statements. No, the whole of Jesus' time on earth was focused on one event. It was focused on the very reason that he came, and that was to die. Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem when he met Zacchaeus. And we read that he was just passing through Jericho on the way to Jerusalem. Here in this this scene, Zacchaeus is despised and he is hated by the crowds around. But in just a few short chapters, someone else would be despised and hated by the crowds. Within a week, the same crowd that was going to rock up and welcome Jesus with cheering and the entry to Jerusalem would be calling for his blood. Jesus accepted those who most deserved rejection. But in turn, he was rejected despite doing nothing wrong. Zacchaeus was justly rejected, but Jesus was wrongly rejected. And Jesus came knowing that this would happen. Long before he was born, God spoke through the prophet Isaiah about what would happen to Jesus. And Isaiah writes, He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering, familiar with pain. And Jesus didn't just come along to earth to be a social outcast. He came to die on the cross. As Isaiah goes on to predict, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In other words, we are all like lost sheep who have gone astray. We are all separated by God, from God by our own sins, a barrier that we can't cross by ourselves. But that is the incredible good news of Jesus, that on the cross he did what we never could. He paid the price that we could never pay. He took our sins to himself to reclaim his lost sheep. And there is no one so far gone that they can't be saved by Jesus. My Alpa also commented on this um, when I was talking to him. He observed that after the war, after World War II, many Christians were challenged by the fact that even Nazi sympathisers could be forgiven by Jesus. And that as Christians, they were also called to show forgiveness to these people who they hated so much. Because on the cross, Jesus took the punishment that belongs to even Nazi sympathisers who would turn to him. And that should fill us with a desire to go out and to show the same love 
put our arms around others, welcome them in. Don't write them off as being too far gone for God because we cannot overestimate what God is able to do. Regardless of our opinion about what they have done, Jesus came to earth to seek and to save the lost. That's broken people like me. That's broken people like you. That's broken people like every other person in this world. And he calls us, his people, onto that same mission. We're only two weeks away from Easter. In just two weeks' time, we'll be celebrating Easter on the lawn together. We will be rejoicing what Jesus has done for us. We will have remembered his death on the cross and what he achieved. And we will be rejoicing that he rose again in power because we serve a living king. And we're going to take our celebration and we're going to use that to run Easter on the lawn. We're going to open it up to the community. We're going to invite others in to spend time with us, sharing in that celebration of what Jesus has achieved for us when he rose from the dead. And so let's go out and and use that opportunity. Let's use that event. Let's go to the people who we think might be too far gone. Let's go to those people who we don't think we can change Let's go to them and invite them along anyway. Let's reach out to them because Jesus can change them. Because through Jesus, salvation hasn't just come to the one house of Zacchaeus. It has come to the entire world. Now, maybe you haven't put your faith in Jesus yet. Maybe you're a long way from him. Maybe you do feel like Zacchaeus at the start of this story. Maybe you're like the lost son in the parable that Adam spoke on last week, wandering far from God. If that's you, then Jesus is calling out to you. He sees you wherever you are. So if that's something that you want to find out more about, I encourage you, have a chat to someone. Talk to a Christian friend. Talk to someone you know who knows and follows Jesus. After the service, come and have a chat to one of us, one of the staff members who would love to talk to you, would love to share with you more about how you can follow Jesus. We'd love to pray with you and encourage you in that next step of seeking after him. Or if you've already done that, if you've committed your life into Christ and you're following him, that is awesome. So let's seek to express that love that we've experienced. Let's seek to go out and show that to other people. Let's start by recognising that on our own merit from what we've done, we're no better than anyone else, but we have the salvation that Jesus has earned for us for all of eternity. So let's, instead of becoming like that older brother in the parable last week, looking down on others who haven't been in the church for as long as us, let's go out and reach out to them. Let's show them the desire that God has to be in relationship with them. Let's ask ourselves, how can we copy and emulate God's heart for the lost? How can we reach out to the lost like Jesus does? Jesus invited Zacchaeus in for a meal together. Maybe you could invite someone else to your house, uh, sharing a meal with them, spend time caring about them, building relationship with them to show Jesus love to them. Or again, maybe you can get involved in our Easter on the lawn. Maybe you can invite people. Maybe you can just spend time praying and asking God that he would use that powerfully. So we've seen this in this encounter between Jesus and Zacchaeus that Jesus knows the lost, that Jesus transforms the lost, and that Jesus redeems the lost. And that is something which Jesus has been doing ever since. Jesus knows you fully. He can can transform you completely 
and redeem you forever. And Jesus is calling out now, so listen to that call. Come down from that tree, receive that gift of forgiveness. And if you already have, then be encouraged by the incredible love that Christ has for the lost. And let's join him in his mission to go out and to seek and to save the lost. God has chosen to use us as his hands and his feet in the world, and that is an incredible privilege. So as we go from here today, as we go into our weeks, as we go into our Sunday afternoons, our Monday mornings, our workplaces, our schools, let's go out looking to actively find ways to express Christ's love for the lost. Because Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. Let's take up that mission in his name and through his power. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We praise you for the powerful way that you use it to convict and change and shape our hearts. Lord, without you, we are all in the same boat as Zacchaeus. We are all weighed down by sin. We're all searching for something so much more than the world can provide. But you came from heaven to earth to seek and to save the lost, and that is us. And despite having done nothing to deserve it, Lord, despite having no good works of our own to claim against that, you have come. You have earned that for us on the cross. We pray for all those here who don't know you yet. We pray that you would work in their hearts, Lord. And we pray that you would use all of us here to reach out to the world around, to share the good news of what you have done for us. Lord, if we look on any way in the same way that the crowd looked on Zacchaeus, would you convict us of this? Make us realise how truly special every person is in your eyes. As Easter approaches, we pray that we'd use this time to reach out, to share your good news to those whose hearts might otherwise be closed off. Please continue to guide and grow us through this service and through the week ahead. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing one last song? And this song is really so appropriate because it's called Mighty to Save. And uh, I didn't script this, but I felt like I wanted to share with you something that happened to us this week. Um, one of our old neighbours who used to come along to our outreach Wednesday dinners, he used to come along and he was um, an atheist. And uh, I remember going over and hanging out with him one time and he was trying to tell me about how to make drugs and all this sort of stuff. He was a guy that was really like not into church, not into religion. And he came along to dinner this week, caught up with us again at our new place and he said, God has spoken to me and I've given my life to him. I now go to church like five times the weekend. I can't get enough of it. I want Jesus and he wanted to pray for me and I just thought it was amazing. God can save anyone and he's calling us as a church to respond to what Nathaniel was saying. So let's sing God is mighty to save. Let mercy 